Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Design Rewind podcast. I'm your host, Grant Varno. Today, we have a very, very special guest with us, Mr. Mark Nicholson, or I should say Dr. Mark Nicholson. Um, uh, Mark, how are you? Just great. Thank you very much, Grant. (laughs) Um, So, Mark, why don't you introduce yourself to the people who maybe don't aren't aware of of some of your background and whatnot well you know my my name's uh, mark and my my background is in the optics industry i've had a a sort of a wide range of experience in in optics um but you know basically my 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 claim to fame is my involvement with the zmax optical design program uh, now called optic studio um uh, which i've been involved with for a long time going back to like 1990 something or other so let's let's not uh, let's not dwell on those details but i've been involved for a long <laughs> time and i've seen a lot of things happen in optical design in, in that time which is you know what why you know i thought it'd be nice to sit here and chat with you all about it well i'm i'm very honored that you uh you know hopped on the podcast with me and uh you know, as, as an optics person myself uh, i've spent some time at the u of a you know, ZMAX is one of those things that every optics person talks about. It's, mm. it's oh, you know, like I know people who, oh, you've worked with ZMAX? Here's, you know, come work for our company. We need we need mm. people who know this program. Yeah. So it's it's definitely a, a, a claim to fame, I would say, <laughs> to have worked with uh, and, and managed that product. Um, so what what got you excited about optics? What What was that first thing that drew you to it? Well, my, my, my background, I, I did a, a degree in physics uh, originally, and uh, towards the end of that, there was a, 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 an option, uh, and there were several different options that, that you could take. One was in um, uh, modern optics, and I just found it a really interesting uh, area uh, to, to work in, uh, because the, you know, the math that's involved in it is actually very attractive, it's very elegant. And, and, and it's also very useful. And, and I think that's one of the things that, that has kind of struck me, uh, that with, within, within optical design, a lot of the approximations that we make are actually ideal for the kind of things that people want to do. And there's, there's not many cases where that's the not, not many places where that's the case. I mean, usually you're really trying to battle things to, to get the, the stuff that's really relevant. But in optics, thing, things like, you know, Fourier optics and such like just comes out quite naturally. And not only is it a, a nice natural thing, but as I say, it's also very useful. And I would say in so like 90% of use cases, uh, some relatively straightforward theory actually provides a really strong backbone for a huge amount of engineering now that's you know not to not not to neglect the other 10 percent you know um because that's that's all that's there but um it's a really very very um uh, applicable thing and we get to ray tracing which is my particular uh area it's almost absurdly useful uh, you know, it, 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 it really applies to a huge range of things. And even where it doesn't apply, you can still use it to get a good sort of, you know, first order approximation. So I, I've, I've always just been, been struck by the, the elegance of the math and how applicable it is to, to real life. 
That's it's interesting you say that because I, I think it's it's funny looking back on you know the history of optics when we um, when the for instance when the laser was invented right mm. towns I think it was towns or it was uh, Ted Maben who famously said the laser is a solution in search of a problem mm. and and I think we look back on on how how this field has just exploded since since then in the the 60s and and going forward and now we're talking about quantum photonics and all these other just amazing fields but Mm. still something like ray tracing it's it's one of the first things you learn in physics here's your three rays you draw for a lens right but what does what so what does zmax do that goes even further than that well i think it's it's what it's what you can uh, get out from that and if, if you look at the, the history of these things, uh, you know, the history was driven, and by history, I'm sort of thinking, saying pre-fast computers, you know, pre, pre-modern sure. computers. Uh, the history was driven by how difficult it is to take the sign of an angle. And, uh, you know, you, you have to look them up in books of tables and such like, and you really have no, no hope of calculating these things yourselves in, a, in an efficient time. Um, and, and so the whole of the, uh, the original traditional theory is based around trying to get as much information as you can from as few rays as possible. And there's some real elegance and some, you know, some real insights to be gained by doing that. With the advent of, of fast computers, though, and, and software that really that, that went beyond simply solving the old formulations, uh, people dis- discovered around about the 80s that by just simply tracing huge numbers of rays, uh, you could actually get better designs than by tracing these one or two rays and, and, and doing some very, very clever things with them. So it's a real standing on the shoulders of giants uh, uh, thing because, you know, before there were fast machines that couldn't calculate billions of rays per second and such like, uh, there was a lot that you had to do to just to get the maximum information out of just a few rays. Uh, and, and that's amazing. And all that aberration yeah. theory that comes out of it, that's a stunning piece of work. But there's also, you can add on to that, just the ability to trace millions of rays very, very quickly. And that provides its own insights, its, you know, its own uh, approaches and builds on top of that previous uh, knowledge to, to give you designs that really you might not have been able to come up with at all before. So that's actually a great segue into just my, you know, one of my next questions, which is, you know, you, uh, this program has overseen so many different optical designs. Mm. What were some of your favorite ones that you've made? Or you've overseen? Oh, I've personally overseen. Okay, I, I'm personally a fairly pedestrian optical designer. I, I haven't done anything that's vastly challenging in the uh, the, the, the scheme of things. Uh, and so, you know, my, my own particular background is in light scattering experiments, where you have to do lots and lots of um, uh, 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 high light grasp optics uh, for uh, like photon counting. Uh, oh, okay. but, but at the same time, the source is being generated 
by you know the mother of all lasers being fired down into something uh, and and so stray lights and, and noise rejection becomes a really really big issue and so again you know from a from a theoretical perspective all these designs are relatively straightforward but from a practical perspective actually building something <laughs> that works that's another matter entirely and there's the design of the optics for for analyzing the signal uh, but there's also the design of the optics for delivering the laser in such a way that you can measure this really tiny signal with you know, huge numbers of photons barreling down in the other direction, and that you know that that that's really one of the things that I'm 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 proudest of is being able to do photon counting in the presence of billions of photons, uh, and and being able to being able to detect the signal photons from you know the mass of photons that are knocking around. Yeah, those experiments are are definitely impressive. Experimentally as well, I've I've worked with a photomultiplier tube, and and I, I don't think you ever have as much fear in you as when you accidentally worry about whether or not you turned off the photomultiplier tube before you turned the lights on. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That is a level. <laughs> that's a level of fear yeah. I'm uncomfortable with. Oh, but um. That's very cool. So you've 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 gone. It seems like you've this uh, over over the course of your time at ZMAX and and, and your career, optics really has changed. And mm. you know we've we've gone from you know the idea that an optic is just kind of flat or curved to a spheres to free forms and you know everything in between. Mm. And that's just an optical lens design. You know, not to say that like nanophotonics and quantum photonics and all these other things mm. are out there too. How have you seen optics evolve over your career, and, and how have you how have you seen that? Yeah, well, you know, when I was a lad, uh, you know, <laughs> back in the days, the 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 big thing that was coming into optics was useful gradient index optics. And of course, you know, there's nothing new about gradient index, but because you know, it's really the hard thing is making a, a, a homogeneous index. You know, um, but when you can make an index that is actually tailored to a specific application, you can actually do some really, really interesting things. So, you know, as I was sort of just entering the optics industry, gradient index optics was the thing that was going to revolutionize everything and and of course it had huge effects uh but it didn't revolutionize everything uh it it, it didn't destroy the manufacturing bases of people who were making spherical optics and all this kind of stuff instead it became an additional you know tool that you could use in particular uh areas and that's really what i've i've seen uh throughout i've, had, I've got about 40 years in the industry and Every time you know some new technology comes along, what what surprises me is that it doesn't necessarily supplant the the previous technologies as much as enhance the previous uh, uh, technologies. And so you get this thing you know, really of, of building on top of previous generations of work. And so when I look now at right now with freeform optics, uh, you know I think that's a really exciting area, and it really does have the 
the uh, possibility of revolutionizing optical design. Uh, but I'm still pretty confident that good old spherical optics will be knocking around in the 21st and 22nd centuries, you know, and, and, and all, all of that will still be there. Uh, because, it, as I said earlier, it's just so damn useful what you can get out of <laughs> these relatively simple shapes. Uh, and so, you know, lots of things have come along and we've had the, the pleasure of sort of coding up these things um, to so that, you know, people can model them in, in the software. One of the things that I found most exciting is, uh, is when a, a customer, a user, has, has done something with the software that we never ever thought was possible, you know, where people have come up with, they've taken the software and use it to model something that the, the architects of the, of the software, Ken Moore uh, and, and myself never ever thought of in, in the first place. And that's a really exciting thing because you know you're modeling reality at a pretty good level when, when people can design systems that you'd never actually considered just using wow. that, that that software that's probably the the most exciting thing for for us uh, as in the, in the software development area is seeing people extend the 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 type of designs that they can be working on yeah that i mean that just shows like you said that shows how good you <laughs> how well it must be written up in order to can predict the yeah. data well, yeah, it has to it has to work at a very kind of atomic level, such that the user can then sort of build things up on top of each other uh, and at work. Um, you know that that's really been the the fun part of it. For I, I'm sure I can speak for Ken Moore on this because he, he wrote <laughs> vast majority of it. He's said this to me many times, um, but uh, you know that's really been the fun part of it is seeing designs that you hadn't actually ever heard of before but they're still being modeled in the software just fine that's yeah that's uh that's a very good point i i think um i to your earlier point you were talking about how spherical you know spherical optics are always going to be around i it, i think what i love so much about some of these classical designs is that it's always the best way to just start that first prototype mm. that first you know hey i'm if i can do it with a if I can roughly get there with like a ball lens and a quick set of mounting screws, right? Like then I can prove my future design. Yeah. And so I, I absolutely agree with you that those will be around. Mm -hmm. It's just, we now have more exciting tools in the tool chest. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you, so over the course of the, of the time you've been working at, uh, with ZMAX as a product, I'm sure you've seen other optical design products or people using, mm -hmm. um, you know, designing optics with it. How do you, how would you evaluate whether a product or a product idea, maybe a, a software update, something like that was a good idea or not? I think the acid test for me is, you know, what can you do that you couldn't do before? And it may well be that the thing that you can do that you couldn't do before is simply to be able to do the same thing, but a great deal faster. That's, that's, totally useful uh, and speed is always an important thing so whatever something comes out that's faster than something else that's always great um, but that's the the acid test to me is really what can you do that you couldn't do before 
And that's, you know, when I, whenever I see somebody developing some new program, that's in a rather more guarded and, and gentle way. That's the question I ask of the developers is, you know, what are you actually adding to the world here? Because it's easy enough just to write a Me Too type thing. And the, the, the Me Too uh, um, uh, things may actually have some real benefits to them because coming later, you know, you're aware of some of the design deficiencies maybe in the or original models. Um, sure. especially in user interface design. Um, but the, really that, that the, that's the acid test is what's different? You know, what, what can I actually accomplish now that I couldn't have accomplished before? And that's the, that's the test that we've always applied within ZMAX to changes within our software, which is the, the only thing I can really talk about. But certainly when I look sure. at competitive uh, software, that's, the, that's the, the first thing that enters my mind is, you know, what, what does it do that, that can't be done right now. That's, I think that's very well said. Um, as as the product has grown, and like we said, you, there's been competitor products, right? And you, you want to keep, at the end of the day, you know, it is an exciting physics software, but, and as much as we might love the details, there's still business to be done, mm. right? There's still, you, you, want to, you want to get the software out to people. You want to make, bring in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, with something like ZMAX, which which has you know kind of like I said, all the op a lot of the optical engineers I, I'm familiar with all kind of like say that's the bread and butter, that's the program they're most fond of in the field. How did you keep updating and pushing that product when you know it's something that's kind of like already the benchmark, right? Yeah. I'm sure people would come up to you at conferences and be like, ZMAX is so great. How you know you can't make it any better, but you oh, still yeah. want to make it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you still want to make it better. <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's an insatiable appetite for speed, um, oh. and 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 you know one of the things that's that's happened is that the you know the, the boundaries have moved. So when I was doing my PhD uh, many years ago, um, you know things like zoom lens design was the kind of thing that you left to cook on a computer for a couple of weeks. Um, and then you would come back and see, you know, how, how, how you know, what, what had come out of it. And, you know, now that those kind of calculations that took a couple of weeks are done easily within minutes and, and such like on, 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 on modern machines. And, you know, you might think, well, you know, that's the end of, of optical design. And I, I do remember actually many, back in about 1995, Ken Moore and I having a conversation over a beer, uh, saying, "Well, you know, I think Zmax is finished now. We've we've done everything, <laughs> you know, done everything you can do, you know." And, and oh wow! This was, I think, after Ken had written, had added the polarization ray tracing uh, to the code, and we were sort of saying, "Oh, you know, there's nothing else to do." Uh, <laughs> That's so funny looking back. <laughs> yeah. But. So uh, let me just get back onto my train of thought here. Um, so um, again, what users have done have, has been to move things more and more into areas that they simply couldn't have been doing previously. Classic examples of that are stray lights, where there's just a lot of, you know, th there is no quick answer to stray light. You know, there's, there's no first order approximation that gets you roughly in the ballpark. I mean, there's just no way around of just blasting lots and lots of rays. And then, of course, there are clever things that you do as well. But 
the blasting of rays is the, the fundamental thing. Uh, illumination design also became a big thing. And, um, you know, within optics, we, 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 within imaging optics, you're trying to design for the best possible spot sizes. Um, but in illumination, you, what you want is the best possible uniformity, usually, uh, 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 in a field. And so it's the exact opposite problem because you don't want a nice little delta function sitting in the field what you want is a nice big comfortable swoosh going there and actually doing that kind of stuff is is remarkably difficult and again in terms of like 80s technology it was something that would be really very very challenging uh to do indeed uh, and so as as the as the computational power has grown so users have just wanted to do more and more complex things that would be really just beyond the grasp of the previous generation of optical designers uh, at all yeah that's it's funny you mentioned so i i'm as an engineer i work in the field of illumination and mm -hmm. coming from the typical laser science background into illumination was like whoa 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 we're not looking at Gaussian beams. We're not looking at, you know, <laughs> uh, you know like any of these things, right? Mm -hmm. the, the units are different. The goals are different. It's, you know, yeah. So I, I think it's it's one of those things that I, even as an optics student, right, they don't teach you, oh, mm. hey, there's this, all of this stuff to be done in the field of illumination. Um, and then you suddenly realize, oh, oh, wow, this is a whole new field, right? And I see, mm. I've seen uh like light tools and some of these other products are are also trying to cater to that as well yeah it, uh, it's fascinating actually because as as the actual physics involved becomes simpler the computational methods become so much harder uh, and so really you know in in uh, in order to do it in a realistic time scale i think yes uh because you know, within imaging systems say you know we get away with a lot of just reducing down to two rays and doing a first pass for those two rays and then building on top of those those, those things and you know even now i still find myself answering lots and lots of questions about pupils and new pu uh, pupil imaging and such like uh because the there's a, a high level of conceptual analysis uh, that then leads to relatively straightforward computational outputs. Whereas with things like illumination and stray light, conceptually it's straightforward. I mean, you know, my father is a railway signalman for all of his working life. And I was able to explain to him some illumination optics uh, uh, things down in the pub, having a beer uh, uh, with them. And, you know, you, you can get a lot of these illumination concepts over to people who aren't particularly trained as scientists or engineers you know just classic laymen uh, uh they can understand that because it's all part of regular life um but because of that it's really hard to simplify these things down into first pass you know or approximate systems you, you're almost forced to just sort of go for the full thing without any approximations to help provide a framework that that takes you in a particular direction so it's you know within within optic studio we we have this distinction between sequential and non-sequential ray tracing and right. sequential ray tracing has a higher 
cognitive load on the user because there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to think about. What's the object? What's the image? Where's the stop? What are the pupils? You know, how does the pupil move and all this kind of stuff? There's a high level of computa- of uh, conceptual load on the, the user and then the, the computer comes in and solves all these, 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 these problems. When you look at illumination and, and stray lights, you simply have to just blast these rays and, and yes. fire out as many as you can and then look at aggregates of the the results. So, you know, you might look at the illumination field and the first moments of the illumination field and the second moment of the illumination field and, and so on as a way of trying to get yourself something that you can, you can handle. But conceptually, it's much more straightforward. Uh, and I can remember back in the days when I was teaching training courses, the, the non-sequential courses were much easier to teach because you just basically had to say, you know, here's a source, here's some, here's some optics, here's some detectors, press the button, whoomph, and, and people just got that. I mean, it didn't, it didn't matter whether, it didn't matter what really your, your educational level was, people got that. Uh, whereas when you're teaching the imaging stuff, uh, that was much harder, you know, here's a ray, and this has spherical aberration, and this has got coma, and this is astigmatism, and this is, you know, that, that, that was the sort of stuff that you could only really teach to the people who had university degrees in that topic, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, well, because in, in some of that stuff you get down into, you know, uh, like, you, like you said earlier, some beautiful math, but still complex math that mm-hmm. you know once once it falls out nicely you get your starting to keep polynomials you get your all your other you know nice order uh number uh what am i thinking of you know your order series and your your terms mm-hmm. that work out nicely um so i so actually great great <laughs> great to talk about your thoughts on illumination because i'm just personally interested <laughs> in that but um i i think going into something like scientific software it's still it's funny when you talk to people who do uh user design for things like an app on the iphone like an uber app or or something like that Mm. they have a very specific set of criteria about how they evaluate it and how how easy it is to use how how you know how the user experience works a lot of these companies will hire a lot of these user experience user interface developers Mm -hmm. With scientific software like these, you know, CMAX or ANSYS, by the way, congratulations on the mm-hmm. exit to ANSYS. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this awkward push and pull between black box and very, very detailed. Yeah. Because you have the engineers who are just like, I want the simplest thing. And the engineers who are like, I want all the control. How do you balance that? That That is difficult. Uh, I, I, so, so, so first of all, I would say, how do we balance it imperfectly? Um, <laughs> I, I think when first written, you know, Optic Studio with its uh, initial focus on imaging optics was written by PhDs for PhDs, um, and and you know that it was really automating what was done in the design process by a very, very experienced and, and well-educated person. As time has gone on, processes like optimization have really simplified a, a lot of that. 
and um, you know the, the optimizers are are capable of of doing calculations many orders of magnitude faster than, 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 than humans are. And it's greatly simplified the, the, the process. So, you know, when, if you think back to the earliest days of, of, um, of uh, Optic Studio or ZMAX as it was then, or in fact, <coughs> the current days of some optical software, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, that, that reflects a design approach that was common, uh, that was the only way of doing it when the people who were writing that stuff were, were young people. And uh, what we found is that optimization in particular has opened up the, 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 the field of optical design uh, to a much wider audience um, because, you know, you need, now you just need to be able to specify what is it that you want and give some kind of reasonable starting position, and the software will take will do a lot of the work. It won't do all, but it will do sure. a lot of the work that gets you from 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 A to B. And I think that's the big change that's come on is is moving from simply optical modeling to optimization, uh, where the the software is actually helping you to achieve a target. Uh, and then there's still things like tolerancing, uh, where you're looking at you know manufacturing errors and how they accumulate. That's that's a, still a big area, but I, I kind of feel like optimization itself has been the uh, the big thing that's opened optics up to people who are maybe not originally optical engineers. And again, this is something that you find very, very often in, in companies that the engineers associated with products with optics don't necessarily have any direct optical uh, experience. And they're, you know, they're mechanical engineers and thermal engineers and electrical engineers. No flies on them, perfectly smart people, but just no specific optical uh, background and I think the optimization uh, in particular spoke to that group of people who needed to be able to produce a product but didn't need didn't want or hadn't gone through the sort of eight years of education at the at the feet of the masters uh, that that was the standard optical design process in those days. I, I think it's funny you say that. So, I mean, my, I myself personally have a physics bachelor's and then I did actually a chemistry master's. Mm -hmm. But all the time, I've basically been focused on optics. And I think you're, we're seeing this now as, as I talk to more people in optics. It's, oh, I have biomedical engineering degrees, but I know more microscopy than most physicists, mm. right, or biologists. Um, I have, you know, a mechanical engineering or electrical engineering degree, but I know a lot about this specific kind of nanophotonics. So you're, you're seeing optics. I, I think it's really exciting. Optics is now sitting in the center of like seven, eight different fields. Mm. Right. And, and that's now bringing about when you bring in an optical engineer now, it's not just like, oh, I did my optical engineering degree. It's, you could have one of seven different degrees and be qualified to interpret optical data. And um, I think that's, you know, I, I find that very interesting. Mm. I, don't, I don't know of many other fields that are like that. You know, I know, like you said, thermal engineers, they go through school, they do that mechanical, electrical, right? They, they take the courses, they pop out, that's it. Optics, it's a little, you sit in between fields. Yeah, optics is, is, is a sort of a, a foundational 
uh, technology, but you know it's it's not usually the leading technology because you know if you think about what what it takes to get something like the you know the James Webb uh, uh, telescope up into space, you know optics is a part of that. I mean that is what the product is. But there's a heck of a lot more going on than just the optics. And in fact, you know, the, the optics to a certain extent, you know, the um, the nominal design optics is actually often relatively simple uh, because we just sort of say, well, we want the best we could possibly get. That's relatively straightforward to design. Uh, but actually making it and then sticking oh, it on yeah. a rocket and sticking it up into space and having it, having it work up in space, that's the, you know, that's the serious hard part. Well, even, yeah, I mean, well, even just lens making, right? I mean, we all know, we're all taught lens maker's equation, right? But, mm. I mean, it wasn't until my first job where I worked at a, a CVD diamond facility and we, you know, polished and processed diamond that I actually got a lot of this kind of, you know, mechanical engineering, material science. How do you polish down a substrate to, you know, one nanometer roughness? What's required to maintain a curvature? Mm. Those are things that are suddenly, now it's like, oh, this is... Yeah. This isn't just optics. That's right. right. It, it's not really. It, it's material physics and all sorts of, you know, uh, different different types of physics that are nothing really to do with the image forming properties of the system at all. Yeah. Yeah. Very very interesting. So, uh, so as you've mentioned, and you famously post on LinkedIn, you are now retired. Congratulations mm -hmm. on that. How are you enjoying it? I'm loving it. I <laughs> <laughs> Best job I've ever had. And, <laughs> and let me say that, you know, my advice to anybody is to try, aim to retire as early as you can and really just enjoy it. Now, I've enjoyed my working life immensely. You know, I really have. Uh, and optics has been very, very good to me. But i got to say I'm enjoying not having to get up for meetings and, you know, not having to meet up with people and such like uh retirement says is working out very nicely for me have you have you found yourself doing anything uh outside of well, we'll talk about design optics fast in a second but have you found yourself picking up new hobbies or any yeah a, a little bit uh, I mean, i've been playing guitar for a long time uh, and so i've decided to try and break out a little bit into electronic music uh, oh. because that's just something I know nothing about. You know, I mean, I really, really, that you know, my kind of stop at guitar amplifiers and distortion boxes and such like, but I, I, I know absolutely nothing about what's happening now in, in electronic music. So that, that's actually an area that I've been going into and, and trying to attune my ear to and, and, you know, start listening to and learning, of, learning about new genres of music that I've just not typically had the time to, to pay attention to. Oh, that's very cool. There's, um, you might actually be interested in this. I follow a guy on LinkedIn who's a, I think he's a VP at some kind of electronics company. And he, uh, he's a guitar guy too. And he loves breaking down and trying to make his own distortions mm -hmm. through different germanium and silicon diodes and all mm -hmm. these. And so he, he'll post kind of updates on, he's got the oscilloscope out, he's messing with frequencies and he's, you know, and it's cool to, it's cool to watch as a, someone who likes to nerd out about that mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that's definitely something that, you know, I've, I've been meaning to do at some point, uh, obviously nowhere near retirement yet, <laughs> but <laughs> um, looking forward to hopefully doing that. So, 
in uh in retirement you decided to start design optics fast yeah. about a year ago yep what what made you want to do that well what made me want to do it was first of all i mean i i wanted to i think i have a fairly unique um perspective on optical design from my history with zmax um and i wanted and the way I see optics being taught, without any criticism being intended here, optics is still <laughs> optical design is still taught the way you could have taught it. You know, if you had a time machine, you could look back, you know, fifty years, and it would still be being taught that way. And I, I don't think people have really accounted for what the optimizer does. You know, I, I, and you know, I have lots of good friends in uh, U of A and in Rochester and such like. So I'm, I'm not I'm not having a go at it. But, <laughs> but typically, you know, the way optics is taught is still very much on the hand calculation uh, uh, method. And then optimization is introduced as a, you know, here, and here's a thing that you can do with it as well. Uh, and I kind of felt like there's a need to have optimization more front and center so that you, know, you can really see how optics is done in the 21st century and not, you know, and, and not take this historical sweep that is the way I think optics is traditionally taught. So the, the, other, the other thing that kind of fed into it was a kind of a dissatisfaction with the way in which within ZMAX itself, we, we taught how to use the program because it was it was a very feature driven approach now and i was behind it so if i'm criticizing it i'm criticizing it myself. <laughs> um, but it's a very feature driven approach you know where you sort of say well this here's a tool and here's how you use it uh, and uh, david keith one of our, our, our customers for many years made a comment that that uh if you look at the knowledge base on zmax.com it's full of how to do a specific thing but not what the objective of it is. And the example he used was, uh, you know, if you were trying to build a house, then the, the, the ZMAX knowledge base was, was full of how to install a window, how to lay a floor, you know, <laughs> how to paint, but there was no, nothing on how to design a house. And that kind of struck, stuck with me. And so what I wanted to do with Design Optics Fast was to take that how to design the house, first of all, and then introduce the techniques as, as necessary uh, to do that. And so I, I took a fairly simple uh, imaging system specification, nothing, nothing hugely uh, difficult, uh, and just showed first of all how you how you set that up in the first place, uh, because I think again with a, with a user interface, you can become a victim of your own success, where you sort of think, well, it's obvious that you need to do this, you need to do that, because everything's laid out perfectly logically, but you can still need to take a step back and say, why is this logical? And, and so, you know, of all these parameters that you can have, you know, one, one of the most important lessons in, in the series that I've done this far is just the, where do you start? 
How do you actually specify an optical system? That I think was a really helpful thing. It was very helpful to me to actually write that out and clarify in my own mind how all this stuff works. So just the where do you start? And then the, 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 the sort of series that I'm working on right now is called the basic shapes of optical systems. And it, 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 it takes the approach of, well, what are the basic shapes? And so you can start off with a singlet, um, which we actually call the, the landscape lens for, for imaging, but it's just a singlet design. And then you can extend that and make it a color corrected landscape lines. So you have the doublets and then you can move up to triplets, you know, the cook triplet being the uh, 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 typical example, and then move up to things like double gausses and such like. And what are you actually doing when you're doing this? Well, you know, you're adding power uh, and that power adds aberrations. So the, the way that you handle that is you split the power between two components and they each contribute aberrations, but less than a single component by itself would have done. And they can balance each other's aberrations. And you know, this is this is one of the things where you know optics is almost too good to be true, uh, whereby the the you know the, the aberrations introduced by one surface can be compensated by another surface to give you perfect imaging. Um, and it's that process of okay, so you've got to, you've got a design where you've got to take this uh, scene that you're looking at and image it onto this detector over here. How do you do that? And, and the simplest thing is to say, well, just use one lens, pop it in, and then optimize it and say, what's the best possible lens that will, will do that? And then look at what you're getting and say, is that good enough? Is that is that missing spec? And then if it isn't, you need to add another lens uh, or an aspheric surface or whatever. And, and how do you actually do that? So, you know, if, if your dominant aberrations are pupil aberrations, you know, spherical or something, uh, then you add more power close to the stop because that's where, you know, that's how you control radial pupil aberrations. But if it's field aberrations, then you have to have power away from the stop. And the, the shapes of these optical systems evolve in a way that, you can just understand from the just from the layout plot that this is what this surface does and that's what that surface does and that's what some other surface does and that gives you the combined results uh, of, of of the system so I, I i avoid all the sort of theory and the the, 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 the complexities of the calculations um and really just ask the question, you know, how do you build the house that does this? And you start off with something that you think is, is sensible. Uh, and, you, and there are, again, you, know, you, can, you can get the starting points relatively easily from the apertures and the field of views and the wavelength changes. Uh, and then just see, you know, optimize it and see how good it is. Is it good enough? Good. If it's not, how do you actually then change it? And you know, what, what is the difference between uh, a color corrected landscape, you know, two double, two singlets, different glasses, and a triplet, a cook triplet. You know, why does why does that work? You know, why does why does it have better field performance? You know, 
rather than simply better on axis performance. Uh, what, what is it about these shapes that is actually the important performance uh, criteria? And, and that's not something I think most optical designers get to unless until they've been in the industry a couple of decades. Uh, and I just wanted to help illustrate how and I called the, the, the channel Design Optics Fast for this for this reason, uh, that armed with a, a handful of starting points, you can actually go a long, long way quickly in, in optical design if you use the optimizer to find you the best possible solutions. And then looking at the, at the results that you get, decide how do you need to then change the system in order to get better results. And you don't want to just throw surfaces at it. You want to decide, I need a particular surface to be you know, close to the stop or far away from the stop. I need a new glass to compensate spheric, uh, chromatic aberrations uh, or, or whatever it is. But, but you know, Design Optics Fast is really looking at how in the 21st century people actually design lenses rather than how do people at university learn how to design lenses, uh, which is a related but different subject. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I think it's it's funny because I think we we the the cannot there's like the canonical examples in every field, right? In an optic, it's like here's a basic microscope. Mm. Here is a basic, you know, like there's the um, you know, imaging system that you might do, right? Here's simple simple magnifications, and short of those very few, uh, you know schools and universities that have those specialized courses right mm -hmm. your specific optical engineering pedigreed schools there's not a lot out there of oh here's here's why when we design these kinds of products we use these kinds of lensing systems yeah. here yeah here's why we do this kind of math or we don't care as much about these kinds of aberrations here versus there so i i, I gotta say i love the the insider knowledge and perspective that your channel's giving it's mm. it's very exciting to kind of see someone who's done this a while what are what are they thinking when they do this process mm. um so well thank you that, just, that's uh, really you know that, that, that that's been the result of something that's been bubbling in my the back of my mind for like 10 to 20 years <laughs> wow no 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 i've actually stopped working and i actually do it <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> Oh yeah. So, but what's what's the general reaction been to this YouTube channel? Very positive. I mean, people are. I, I think it it does give something that isn't generally available otherwise, which is that that top level how to build the house approach uh, to optical design. And you know, I, I think and without criticism, I think classic you know optical designers taught in a way based on paraxial rays and then real rays and such like uh, that follows the history of the development of the subject um, and and that's absolutely fine uh, but in terms of how you actually do design in the 21st century well you don't start off thinking you know what would Conradi have done in this situation you know you, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you start off with a computer program that you have to enter enter data into and then you use it to help refine the design until you get something that is that, that is workable. Yeah, I think it's. I had a had a, my boss in my first job made a comment to me that you know, as science is is you know moving forward, 
there's so much of science that is actually just staring at data and understanding raw data outputs efficiently mm. because we're we're now at a point where we're you know maybe 20 years ago it was about can you build this thing specifically and now it's more about can you understand the inputs and outputs yeah and i've seen a corollary to all of this uh, in uh, maths as, as well and basically the teaching of mathematics um because you know i, I had a good traditional <laughs> uh, 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 background, uh, but I was introduced uh, a while back to a program called Mathematica by Aaron Elliott, who works at, uh, at Zmax, and uh, that astounded me with with what I said, what <laughs> all this stuff that I used, you know, when I was a student, I would be spending all this time differentiating equations, you know, doing, doing problems, and and, and you, you stick it into mathematics. <laughs> How it all comes, and uh, I was also just playing with um, with an app uh, from from Microsoft that the thing is called MathCalc, and, and it's and it's scarily good. You can write in some integral, uh, ask it to solve, and it just solves it. And so you know, there's a huge. I I, I think there's something really interesting going on now in how science and mathematics have to be taught. Because the tools that are available now, first of all, are just, I think they just destroy the classical education system from a point of view <laughs> of examinability, which is obviously very important to, to, the, uh, to the university. You've got, you've got to be able to test your students. But if your students have access to all these little apps and such like that, they can just do it all. <laughs> you know, that, that, that's a serious issue. And, um, and to some extent, you have to think, well, if you have access to all these apps, why are we teaching people to do what the apps do? You know, we should be teaching people to do what you do with the outputs from, from, from these apps. And so, I mean, I remember having to do endless, you know, sine alpha cos beta equals a half. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, doing this at school, oh, oh my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh. <laughs> Yeah. If you could just sort of whack on your phone and just, oh, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. <laughs> So, I mean, there's definitely a, a real revolution in how we think and how, how, how we approach uh, how we approach engineering and scientific issues. In my own small area in optical design, I've really seen this with optimization. I think it does a huge amount of the heavy lifting that seriously bright people used to do before. But in a wider context, I can just see all of math and, and, and certainly physics and the, 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 the computational sciences really being transformed by there's an app for that. And uh, it, it, I, I think it's very, very interesting. I mean, it's clearly revolutionary and I, I'd love to know how the, the smarter people in universities are actually building on the app culture uh, rather than trying to hold the app culture back, you know, and I can I can fully understand why they hold, try and hold the app culture back because somebody's got to teach kids how to think, and that's really <laughs> what you're doing. Uh, but yeah. with, when you've got these assistants that are so good, we're gonna have to think about how you do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny you say that. I remember. Um... 
I had a professor in grad school who was we were um, was a graduate analytical chemistry course and someone was asking how the at syllabus day you know how our tests going to work in this class and he kind of he had this story about how he remembers being a kid and the teacher being like you'll never have a calculator in your pocket and lo and behold we all have these in our pocket now so he's mm. he basically kind of said you know this it's absurd for me to make you write down and memorize a bunch of these you know typical older problems what i want to test you on is how you think about new problems so he would actually give us exam questions that were like you have this kind of a system and you're trying to analyze this thing how would you go about that yeah. and if you made a coherent argument and you could say well i would do this 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 and i would account for these variables then it was like you understood it and i think that's maybe where universities might be going yes yeah. you know obviously we do need people to understand basic calculus and these other physical phenomenon but at a certain point it's now about looking at systems as inputs and outputs and and you know there is a lot of dense math and some of these things but sometimes if the computer is lifting all of that for you to your point how how much of it do you exactly need to know exactly yeah and there are always those those people who are adept at this stuff who do want to go into it um but you know if i think of the you know the intake in the first year of physics when i was a you know when i was a lad there were there were lots of us who had to have that stuff drilled into us <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. i mean there, there oh, really yeah. were the people who got it and there were the people who worked at it and uh, i was definitely in that second category and uh, I, I think for, for those people i, I think the, the world is just changing as you say it's much more about inputs and outputs and what do you do with the results? So now you've got that result, what what do you then do? And that, that's kind of part of what I'm trying to get at with the basic shapes of optical systems, which is that, you know, what, once you've got a system and it looks a bit like this and it's performing like that, and here's the, here's the output of what you're getting, what do you do to make it better? You know, how do you, how, what do you add to the system? What do you change to, to actually make it better? I yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, that's all the questions I have, Mark. We're about up for time. So uh, I want to thank you again so much for being on the podcast with me and, and taking time out of your very busy retirement. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm slammed, guy. <laughs> uh, I'm very, again, very appreciative. Um, uh, if anyone is interested, you can follow Mark's content on LinkedIn or at his YouTube channel at Design Optics Fast. Um, if optical engineer or you just manage optical products, whatever you do, he has some great content out there. Uh, I've watched a couple of videos myself and I, you know, I love it from an optics perspective, but I also love it from a conciseness perspective. There's no, here's, here's all the fancy words I can throw out to you. It's no, here's, here's how I go about it. So, mm. um, thank you again so much for being on Mark. And thank you very much Grant for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. You take care. Okay. You too. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Design Rewind Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Anchor or Spotify. Give me a review. Follow me on Twitter at Design Rewind Podcast. Would you or someone you know like to be on the show? Shoot me an email at designrewindpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me or hit me up on LinkedIn. Thanks. 